The Operations Leadership Podcast with Gautam Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation, and organizational leadership. In this episode of the podcast, our guest is Ramesh Sharda. Ramesh is the Vice Dean of Research at Oklahoma State University's Business School. He has a long history in data science, analytics, operations research, and information systems. And in this interview, he provides us with rich insights into his integrative and holistic approach to analytics, industries that have been at the forefront in the adoption of analytical tools, and two case examples of organizations that have developed their own analytics capabilities, including Walmart and OSU's Medical Innovation Center. If you like what you're hearing with this podcast series, then we kindly ask you to hit the subscribe button. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Ramesh Sharda. Hello, Ramesh, and welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast. Thank you. All right, great. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background, experience, and what got you interested in the topics of data science, operations research, analytics, and information systems. Okay, great. So uh, first of all, at the very outset, I would like to thank, uh, of course, my home school at Oklahoma State, but uh, here, Alto University and Fulbright Finland Foundation for making it possible for me to be here. Uh, My undergrad degrees and and, uh, first master's was in engineering, and then I got an MBA and PhD, and my PhD was in operations research. But because I've been in a business school, uh, I quickly realized that uh, my calling was to actually come up with impactful and useful applications for business. And that would require not just modeling, uh, but also IT data access, working with companies, working with people on change management and everything else. And all of that together today is uh, analytics broadly. Mm. So that's kind of a quick summary of how I got to the analytics area. So that's almost full scope, basically. Exactly. It's an integration of IT modeling as well as uh, organizational and user impacts and acceptance of technologies. Got it. Got it. Great. As you've been involved, uh, let's say, in the analytics domain for many years, even decades now, what are some of the major developments or changes you have seen throughout the years? So uh, kind of uh, just to give you a quick history of where we have been, Uh, Of course, companies started to do transaction processing, putting stuff in computers uh, early on. uh, But a lot of data that was being collected wasn't really available to managers for being able to make decisions. Or when they wanted something, they would receive literally these reams of paper reports So from there, we moved on to information systems. uh, And uh, rather than going into the whole history, that then led to us developing business intelligence systems where 
we could actually analyze the data from multiple dimensions and along the way also we had uh, evolution of decision support systems uh, where models were being used to be able to help make better decisions particularly decisions that were kind of semi structured where some data would be useful but at the same time human interaction human judgment was also needed and i might also relate that uh, in parallel in the computer science world uh, there were artificial intelligence activities which now are all coming together to the current level of analytics data science and uh, of course the latest label that everybody is using is just ai and uh, all the hype we have seen recently about chat gpt and others uh, is just one angle but the key is that we have been collecting data for a long time we have been trying to understand how this data would help make better decisions for a long time and uh, so it's a uh, kind of an aggregation of many different things that have happened over several decades mm. Yeah, that's it's it's very interesting and I can imagine that uh, with your experience it's probably pretty exciting time now. For sure, it's it's a great to be in this space uh, and learning at the same time exploring and learning each time. Yes, yes. wonderful. Um for those uh listeners that are not so familiar with the analytical models, could you explain to us what are the different types of analytical models such as descriptive predictive and prescriptive sure uh, so uh, this is a terminology that has now become widely used descriptive largely means understanding what has happened or what is happening right now predictive means what is likely to happen and prescriptive means so what can i do about it Okay, so it's a combination of all three things: understanding where we have been, where we are likely to be, and what should we do about it. So uh, the basically the combination uh, can be looked at in any example. But uh, one of the very popular uh, books and movie, Moneyball, mm-hmm. which kind of made it more accessible for general public to understand what is the potential of analytics it kind of started with the idea of understanding what have uh, what has been going on in baseball american yeah. baseball right uh, and that then le- so that's descriptive analytics the coaches can take that a step further and say if i change some behavior here instead of focusing on one particular characteristic if i change the characteristic what is it going to do to the uh, my player's performance and then so that's the predictive analytics and then finally you have prescriptive analytics where the coach uses that information to decide what the player's strategy would be right uh, at a particular point in time in a game uh, 
Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, application uh, for analytics. Uh, I, I really like that movie Moneyball. Yeah. Um, those of those of listeners that haven't seen that movie should see it. Um, and this kind of leads to my my question. The next question is, um, what are some of the industries that have embraced the uh, adoption of analytical tools? And and you mentioned, for example, this uh, baseball which has now been, uh, I think it was the Oakland A's that was right, the money right, ball. Right. Uh, and then the gentleman who was the general manager went on to the Boston Red Sox right. and they ended Philippine, up winning World yeah, right. Series. Um, since you are coming from Oklahoma State uh, University, uh, we were talking before that you have a great wrestling program there with John Smith. But sports obviously has embraced analytics, yes, uh, NBA. Sp- yes, yeah, sp- you know, sports is a... Uh, multi-billion dollar industry worldwide. Uh, you know, uh, Europe is big in football and uh, uh, U.S., of course, is big in American football, basketball. You know, you have NFL and uh, and uh, you have NBA and, of course, uh, um, particular every industry in the collegiate sports. So uh, uh, there is so much money there that being able to improve your performance even by a fraction of a percent time can make a big difference in your visibility, in your acceptance, in your ability to recruit better players, in your ability to attract more spectators to your stadiums and so on. So sports has been one industry that has been now trying hard. Uh, and uh, in, in fact, in our textbook, uh, Business Intelligence, uh, Analytics, Data Science, and AI textbook, we actually start with a major sports analytics story, uh, which includes examples uh, from many, many different industries, uh, well, uh, many, many different sports and different applications. Uh, one of my colleagues and friend. Dr. Dave Schrader, uh, he is a sports analytics enthusiast, so he organizes and contributes these stories for me. Uh, we've actually done uh, some students at Oklahoma State, for example, recently have done some very interesting cricket analytics work. Uh, and uh, so we are exploring how we can uh, work with the IPL in India to uh, share some of those results. So, but, but besides sports, retail obviously is a very big industry where analytics have been embraced because naturally they are, the, that's one industry that collects a lot of data. Right. Point right. of sales. Uh, sales yeah. on the logistics side, yep. production side, uh, uh, travel similarly is another industry, you know, virtually everybody sees that dynamically on a website, airfare prices can change, hotel prices can change, uh, uh, and all of that is happening on the basis of uh, knowing how, uh, how many seats have been booked already, how many are likely to be booked on. Yep. The overbooking the problem. Booking problems, yep. and the, yep. so the revenue optimization. Yep. That's all part of kind of more prescriptive analytics, but it all depends on the data which is where the descriptive and predictive analytics come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another industry that has become big user recently, and in fact, uh, uh, it's another, consider another classic industry, is the casinos and gaming industry. Uh, 
Uh, in fact, uh, one of the very early success stories of analytics uh, is the Harrah's Casinos, yes, right. uh, where a Harvard professor mm. who suggested using analytics, Gary Lerman, became eventually the CEO of the Harrah's Casinos. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it's a big, big story. Now, if you go to a casino, they are tracking everything you are doing in that casino and using that information to give you better goodies uh, uh, based on how much you are going to spend and so on. Sure. But that's another big industry. Yeah. Finance, of course, has always been big. And lastly, uh, now there is a lot of research and uh, some activity and some action on the health analytics side. I would say that... Uh, that's one of the kind of the bigger social frontiers where analytics has the potential to make a big difference. So there are a lot of uh, proof of concept projects uh, that are underway. And I'm leaving out a lot of other industries, but that's more because these are the industries I study on, but virtually every industry is now being impacted or exploring analytics and AI applications. Maybe maybe a follow-on question to that. So you mentioned some of the pioneers. Uh, this gentleman from the Oakland A's who was doing basically descriptive statistics yeah. to find out player performance and the Harris as, uh, from the, the gambling and casino. Yeah. So if we look at, for example, one organization that's a pioneer, how long does it take to actually develop cross-industry-wide where competitors kind of adopt, let's say, these analytical tools and models to improve their own performance? It usually takes several years uh, because obviously companies don't want to talk about what they're doing until they're, they're well on their way uh, in terms of reaping the first mover advantage of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a lot of secrecy on, on that front. Uh, because being in academia, you know, we are fortunate that we are able to work with companies uh, in many cases to help them guide through these uh, explorations and beyond. Uh, uh, so I, I would say that it's at a multi-year journey. Uh, and uh, sometimes it may not be that successful uh, because of multitude of regions, the data weren't there, the champions weren't there, uh, or they took on too much, far more than they could buy it uh, at one point. And uh, but but uh, I I don't know of too many cases where analytics projects did not make a big competitive difference and. Then, through the industry, trade meetings, and so on, other people begin to adopt. So, for example, if we take retail, you know, uh, Amazon is a, a big, big example of how pretty much all of their operations are run because of analytics and uh, applying analytics. In, in my book, I have a chart which shows uh, the points where the retail industry can apply uh, or has been applying analytics in at various touch points mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was inspired from Amazon uh, so but but once other companies like Walmart and uh, everybody else recognize that this was a big issue 
they they couldn't afford to be left behind right exactly. so so that has led to the whole industry becoming more adaptive that's interesting and that leads to my next question which is really around the uh the methods the typical methods processes and approaches for developing analytics tools for organizations so i think you uh, touched upon it a little bit but if you can go deeper into that so i i would actually uh, basically summarize it more for from the point of view of a company or an organization that is just just now getting started on what analytics can do for them i would say that the uh, the first thing they ought to do is uh, uh, basically look at what is their industry doing at this point uh, other players in their industry are doing a uh, this is my plug uh, broadly for alto and any other university but there are now literally hundreds of business analytics and data science programs worldwide virtually every country around the world many universities in each country are now offering analytics data science programs masters largely some undergrad so reach out to your nearest university partner and try to work on some student projects most universities are very eager to have the, the students work on real data from companies and and that's kind of a low cost almost no cost effort at figuring out uh, a proof of concept application once you have that then of course you have to get more serious in terms of uh, being able to build all the data connectivity that's usually one of the hardest steps in any organization because the data are in different systems in different formats uh, and to have any serious re- really transformative analytics application for your organization it's no bra- it's a no brainer that you will need data from many many different sources so to pull all of them together and then having a data science team that understands how all of it can come together and build you know clean up the data build the model uh, and and then productize that model uh, because again the users of the model will be very different people than who have built it or even those who actually instantiate who initially supplied the data mm-hmm. uh, to build that model right and i guess that's a summer summarization a very good summarization but do you have i mean you mentioned some of the case examples so what are some case examples of organizations or businesses that have done this uh successfully um well of course uh, one of the organizations besides amazon which uh, we all know about in terms of how they use the reviews how they use the recommendations and, and associate show you other complementary or similar products and so on all of that is happening through analytics uh, so we have already talked about that but uh, uh, walmart as an example is uh, a good company target another major retailer in the us uh, i think tokamani's logo is similar so they i i don't know their exact association uh, 
but but uh, retailers in general would be the ones that do the most with the data. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. And um, you mentioned about uh, this Walmart, and I understood that you have done a interesting uh, project with Walmart in the past. Could you tell us some more about the project and um, if there is any tangible benefits uh, that you've seen based on this project that you did with Walmart? Sure. Uh, so this project was an example of a situation where the company was collecting a lot of data just on a proof of concept basis, but yet had to figure out what the data meant for them. So they had just started to experiment with the idea of putting an RFID sensor on each pallet of products. Uh, the, the, the hope was that eventually it can be put in every retail item, an RFID tag, and then you can use that information to far better understand what's in a shopping cart uh, and go from there. But uh, they were just starting to do it at the pallet level. So we saw this basic data, which is an RFID tag number, which meter has read it, what time has it read it, that information. By itself, that's a very useless piece of data set. But uh, uh, what our challenge was to help them figure out what this data could uh, do for them in terms of helping them better understand their logistics supply chain, how this data could help them make better decisions. So we started by looking at this data and uh, after analyzing it, we were able to tell them, look, you can use this data to see how many times, uh, how, how long does it take, for example, uh, for one warehouse to uh, uh, supply, replenish a, a particular retail store versus another distribution center. Okay, mm-hmm. Once the items are in the back of the store, uh, because the pallet uh, still has the RFID tag and uh, a store manager, somebody in the store, a worker, is going to replenish uh, the shelves, how many times does that pallet travel back and forth? Mm-hmm. How can we make that process more efficient? Uh, uh, how does it vary between one store to another? What you know, does it change because of weather? Does it change because of location? So by having this data across a number of stores, we were able to help Walmart get better insights into what was happening. Mm-hmm. So it's a good example of descriptive analytics. We didn't predict anything, but we converted that raw data into useful, meaningful information for them. Another project we worked again with Walmart uh, was uh, to help them better understand how frozen products temperatures behaved uh, as the frozen products traveled from one part of the United States to another. As you know, U.S. is a big country. Mm-hmm. So if you have some frozen pizzas that are being uh, de- uh, developed in Los Angeles area, but they need to be delivered to people in Dallas or even worse, uh, New York or Miami. They have to travel long distances in these frozen trucks. Mm. So, so there, we've uh, Walmart 
added uh, these RFID tags, except they also included temperature information, okay? And also location information. So by being able to track all of that information, we were able to tell them within a truck, within a frozen truck, how much does the temperature vary as this truck full of frozen pizza boxes travels across Arizona desert and then into Texas and on up. Uh, mm. So again, another interesting example of uh, descriptive analytics. Yeah, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, the RFID case with Walmart is fairly well known, but I, yeah. I hear what you're saying is that the, the data that's being spit out from the RFID tags, it's useless unless it's actually used for some uh, decision-making purpose that adds tangible value. Um, have you heard about uh, these next-generation kind of transportation management systems where uh, they can, let's say, reroute, um, let's say, goods already in route, for example, based on where they're needed, the actual demand is? Right. So I know, for example, Best Buy is doing that right. with uh, cargos that are yeah. on the water. Um, and they can basically reroute. And, and all of that is possible because uh, they have full visibility into what's on this truck mm -hmm. and where virtually every item is uh, likely to be needed. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, from the management science, logistics side, uh, optimization of vehicle routing, right. That has been one of the big challenges and big applications, uh, uh, not just for FedEx and UPS but uh, or DHL, but uh, small to large carriers. So co companies now own more of that process themselves, and by having that visibility down to each item, they, they are better able to make those kinds of uh, optimal routing decisions. Yeah, and and I would say that um, how do you see, for example, if you look at you know uh, planning horizons, so the strategic, tactical, and the operational, would you w would you say that with the let's say ubiquity of the data being available either through RFID or IoT based sensors that the the the, the blending of the planning and the execution phase, especially for operational planning, has that gotten better? It has definitely gotten better. Uh, it's uh, uh, obviously uh, you, you, you want for as few disruptions to occur as possible. Mm -hmm. But our ability to respond to disruptions is definitely much better. You know, if, if a disaster, you know, a weather event occurs somewhere and all of a sudden more of something is needed in another part of the country, it's far more likely that we can do that because we have greater visibility into where our products are. Right. Okay? Right. Um, does it change the strategic planning? Uh, yes. I mean, in, in general, with any decision-making, you know, we think in terms of tactical, operational, uh, and, and, and then intermediate-term and long-term planning. So you are learning from these uh, uh, short-term events, and hopefully that helps you in the long run to identify greater slow occurring changes 
which help you make better strategic decisions in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in general, lo- uh, strategic decisions are likely to be more based on external data as well as internal data. You know, we always talk about uh, a pyramid uh, where the uh, the bottom of the pyramid is internal operational data then aggregated data in the middle and then uh, summary uh, data at the top which is what uh, and then you can relate this to uh, more detailed operational decisions uh, medium term planning decisions and strategic decisions right uh, the but but the pyramid reverses when you think in terms of external information uh, the top management strategic planning would be far more based on external data uh, macroeconomic conditions and, and demographic changes and so on mm-hmm. so you would have to take all of those into account and uh, the only thing is that now more and more of this information is all becoming integrated and more easily available on a dashboard uh, in a summarized form thanks to some of the analytics and ai developments so that a manager can make use of this even at a higher level even at the strategic planning level this is an interesting point because when you talk about external ex- exogenous kind of uh, kind of factors from the let's say a focal company's decision making process so do you know of any case examples where for example um, geopolitical situations whether um, legal tax uh, economic inflation, interest rates, so on, where those exogenous or external factors are taken into use um, for a company's, let's say, either strategic or tactical decision-making? Uh, I mean, again, I'll go back to the retail industry. And, uh, uh, you know, in the U.S., unfortunately, uh, particularly on the southern side, we do get hurricanes. Yep. And uh, you really don't have a good idea of where those hurricanes will really hit the land until it's much closer, right? Mm. Uh, But the retail industry has gotten much better over time at being able to take, uh, make use of that information and their own internal optimizing logistics uh, so that they will have the right things available at the right place. Uh, If you are going to get a hurricane uh, and you are on the southern side of the U.S., that's not a good place where you now need to be storing big snow jackets at that time. Of course, you may need them in December, but you don't need them during the prime hurricane season. And if for some reason you had an extra stock there, you move that and make space for uh, power generators uh, and water bottle pallets and so on, what would be needed when uh, uh, the disaster strikes. Yeah, I mean, this is is quite interesting because this is almost on uh, humanitarian or uh, logistics or supply chain, where I had a podcast with uh, Genji Kovacs, who is an expert there, and and this is really around needs assessment. So really not being able to clog up the supply chain with unneeded materials, but the ones that are actually needed. 
Uh, I mean, and the the problems are in multiple spaces. You know, refugee crisis. Uh, one of my friends who is here uh, at Alto right now, from University of Oklahoma, on another Fulbright uh, in the systems analysis lab, uh, his interest has been in working on supply chain in the refugee area, mm. and uh, so he's been looking at these critical supply issues from modeling standpoint. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I also know that you have been involved with um, analytics for the healthcare industry. So could you give some examples of what you're doing there in terms of applications, successes, failures on the use of such tools um, in practice within the healthcare industry? Sure. Uh, so w one of the things that we have been very fortunate about is that uh, uh, we, we have been given access to a really large medical records data warehouse, electronic medical records data warehouse, uh, which encompasses data from hundreds of hospitals, millions of hospital patients, uh, billions of lab results, prescriptions, and so on, a massive data trove. Uh, and the gentleman who gave this data to us, uh, uh, his goal was to use all of this data, uh, this big resource, to make medicine better. Okay, so we have uh, we have a center for health systems innovation at Oklahoma State University, uh, and through which several colleagues uh, uh, beside me who've been working on lots of interesting applications. My own uh, applications with uh, my uh, students uh, have been particularly one colleague, uh, Dr. Pankush Kalgotra, who is at Auburn University, uh, have been more on uh, understanding a what these disease comorbidities are like, how they do differ. So one of our very first studies was to see how the disease comorbidities differ between males and females, because that has a public health uh, implication on how we should do research about certain diseases. Uh, uh, then we looked at differences across different races. Uh, uh, we worked on projects to predict hospital length of stay which is, again, a planning problem. A, uh, no, not only an insurance company needs to know how long a patient will stay in a hospital so that they can plan the appropriate payments for it, but, but a hospital needs to know. Uh, you know. During COVID, we all went through those stories where the hospitals uh, were running out of beds and so on. So, so being able to better predict how long somebody will stay in a hospital helps with hospital bed planning, resource planning, nurses planning, and so on. And uh, so we've shown through our research that by being able to apply network science ideas in health analytics, uh, you can actually do a better job of predicting hospital length of stay across many, many diseases. Uh, we worked recently on an application to predict uh, uh, who, which patients are more likely to get colorectal cancer. Uh, that's becoming a big problem around the world, actually. It used to be that uh, 
mostly uh, colorectal cancer was a disease that occurred in the late stages of someone's life. So colonoscopy was recommended at age 60 and beyond. Uh, now, more and more people are getting diagnosed with the colorectal cancer at an earlier age. So you, it's impractical to ask every 30-year-old to start going through colonoscopy because the financial resources won't be there. But which patients are more likely to run into that issue? Uh, obviously, family history is one predictor, and that's easy to implement. But beyond that, what else gives you early signatures of uh, being able to say, uh, your general practitioner says, Mr. or Ms. X, you should now go see a, uh, a gastroenterologist so that they can begin to watch you. Because I suspect, based on the comorbidities that you have, uh, I suspect that you may have an issue. So. And, and that's what you want to do. Prevention is better than care, right? Uh, exactly. So uh, the earlier we can screen, the better off we will be. So these are some of the things we worked on. Of course, uh, uh, it usually research is usually ahead of industry adoption. Uh, so we are working with uh, hospital systems, health insurance companies, and so on to now try to some of these models in their databases, in their internal systems. Uh, part of the other challenge is that the physicians are usually very difficult people to change. So that's where it gets into the human factor side, convincing them to accept another tool that will give them uh, a score. Uh, it has to become very easy to interpret, easy to understand, and so we've been working on some of those things right now. That's 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 fascinating, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a good example of uh, you know how analytics can actually make an impact. Right. Uh, no, fantastic, great. Um, maybe one last question, and and that's that is, what is your view of the future of analytics in let's say five years uh, time frame? How do you view that? Uh, so. I'm paraphrasing someone, uh, but uh, basically the way I look at th these things is that the hype occurs quickly. You know, right now there is so much hype about chat GPT and other similar tools. Uh, the hype dies down. Then eventually over a longer period of time, profound changes occur. They don't occur in the time frame that matches the hype cycle, but they do occur over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so already many reports, uh, and, and I'm not an economic expert, but I've seen many of these articles and reports uh, have pointed out that uh, some of the so-called knowledge tasks are becoming automated. And uh, so there is, uh, around the world, uh, there will be a major disruption in terms of uh, the number of workers that are needed who do knowledge-related tasks because more of those are becoming automated. Right. Okay? Uh, but 
will it occur next month should you stop studying computer science no it's uh, it, it's uh, the changes always occur they are more profound and therefore they take a longer period of time but uh, the primary lesson i give my students on that front is be adaptable and learn how to learn so that you are ready for that next cycle uh, so ai or all these technologies will result in major disruptive changes over time not tomorrow next not next year even necessarily but uh, uh, there will be new jobs that will come up as a result and your the as a, an organizational professional what you can do is always be on the lookout for what that next frontier will be like and be prepared to be ready to take on that challenge yes so. yes it's a bit like uh, embracing uncertainty with adaptability exactly wonderful well this has been a great and fascinating uh conversation ramesh so i'd like to thank you for being a My guest my pleasure thanks for inviting me to speak and again i would like to thank uh, of oklahoma state alto university and fulbright finland foundation for making it possible for us to connect Right. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast. I'm your host Gautam Basu. If you like what you're listening to with this podcast series, then please hit subscribe and until next time.